been talking about closing the gap. And last week I was talking to you, really the past couple of weeks, about raising the standard. And I gave you last week three essentials in David's life of how he raised the standard. What's raising the standard? Raising the standard is whenever you take who you are and what you are, what you know and how you act and behave, what your values, it's the values you have over your physical body, your spiritual walk with God, over your resources, your finances, your relationships, all of the above. And what is it? It is when you set that standard, what is the standard? Whatever your level you're living at today. So whatever level you're living at today, if you're living, say, in your career, you'd like to be at a 10, but you're at a level three, then you, you know, your, your standard is not six. Your standard is three. If your health is at a three instead of a 10, then your standard is not a 10, your standard is a three. But here's the good news. Look at your neighbor and say, he's got some good news. Say, say it's not all bad. And here's the good news. We can what? Do all things through who? Christ who strengthens us. And when we get that understanding, there's no devil in hell, there's no obstacle, there's nothing that can stop us from doing everything God made us. See, see, the power is in the design. It's kind of like I told you a few weeks ago, if, if I got the perfect recipe for the perfect chocolate cake and someone had that and they're making millions of dollars with this recipe, if they give me that recipe and I follow it perfectly, what kind of chocolate cake will I have? A perfect cake. Guess what? God didn't make a mess when he made you. No, 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 no. God didn't make a mess when he made you. Because he said that in Genesis, didn't he, didn't he say that he has created us in his own image and in our own likeness? Have we made them both male and female? So, so he has made us in his imagio, his image, his likeness, and we are just like daddy. And he said that I want you to go forth and subdue to be in charge of everything that creeps and crawls and flies on the earth and the earth itself, be in charge. Why? You are my children. You are my kids. So I want you to realize when you are a child of God, that's what you are. You're not a baby. You're a son or a daughter. And guess what? You have daddy's DNA in you, his spirit, his identity, his authority, his power. And if you can tap into who you already are in him, it would be more than you could ever imagine you could accomplish with anyone else helping you do it. Can anyone say amen this morning? Amen. He said in 1 Peter 2, what did he say? He said, what I call you, what a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a what, peculiar people. He didn't call you to play around and placate around and hope maybe. Well, they know what faith is. No. On, what is Hebrews 11? One? Shout it out. One, two, three. Faith. What is it? We'll do it one more time. Now. So, so, so I can't, can anyone see your heart right now? Your, your kidneys? But you got faith they're running, right? Well, it's no different than the power of God. Power of God inside you right now. The power of God is residing in you. His spirit, his power, his anointing, his DNA is in sight of every born again believer now. Faith is a vehicle 
to focus on what it is that you need to go out there and bring it into your now. Faith is the substance. It is the substance. It is the healing. Faith is the financial breakthrough. Faith is the restoration of your family. Faith is your deliverance. Faith is your joy. Faith is your peace. Faith is your happiness. And now, faith is the substance, the peace, the understanding, the wisdom, the breakthrough. Now, faith is the substance of the things hoped for but not seen. Say greater. Say greater. Is he who's in me, in me now, alive, ready to activate on my behalf. Come on, give Jesus a shout if you believe that this morning. So I'm going to talk to you about a topic that I think we kind of know, and some are not familiar with it, but we kind of know about it, and we have a tendency to play around with it without really tapping in to what it can do for us. I'll start out with telling you a little story, and I'll tell this story every so often. Uh, my mom, you know, my dad died when I was three months old, a lot of us kids, so on. But there was my, me and my brother at home at the time in the summer, and I'm in like, the, I'm like 12 or 13 at the time. Uh, I think I was 12. I think I was in sixth grade. And I had a little friend that just lived a quarter of a mile down from me, and his name was Jeffrey. And so I say, oh, yeah. So, so Jeffrey, he's a little blonde-haired dude, you know, a little rattlesnake like me. I was a little blonde-haired rattlesnake. We run around barefooted in gravels. We didn't care. We just out all day long playing and then we'd always stay all night with each other. And I'd stayed a couple nights with him because it's summertime. And I come home and I'm in there. My mom worked, you know, like two shifts that day. And she's tired. And here her boy is. He's about 12 years old, little floppy-haired, blonde-haired dude. I'm standing in the refrigerator going, oh, 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 oh. She said, son, what are you doing? White milk. You know, here, because I just took a whole gallon, you know, but in the cartons, I'm just drinking it because I'm thirsty. <sighs> drinking milk, what do you think I'm doing? <laughs> you, you don't drink milk like that in my refrigerator, boy. That's not just your milk, that's our milk. Well, you can have some too. I don't want to, nobody wants to drink after you like that. Well, I don't see no problem with it, Mom. Whoa, oh, oh, now, Jeffrey! I'm like, I'm not Jeffrey, I'm Marion. No, you're Jeffrey right now, and you've been staying with Jeffrey, and now you look like Jeffrey, you even act like Jeffrey, and I'm getting ready to take Jeffrey out of you piece by piece. <laughs> Little Marion got it real quick. Mama wasn't playing. You see, what she was saying is, you've been around him so much this summer, you are becoming him. See, see if you want to know how people perceive you and see you, look at the people, the five people you spend the most time with because you're not much different. You're just about right there where they are in one way or another. So if I want to close the gap from a three to a 10 in my finances, in my health, in my relationships, whatever it is, in my walk with God, my calling, my destiny, 
then one of the principles I must learn, we talked about getting leverage, we talked about, you know, our must and all those things, but, but this is so critical. When you raise the standard, you cannot raise your standard as quickly or maybe at all without this principle. And it's very simple. Proximity is power. Proximity is power. And when you begin to understand that principle in your life, then it's even proved scientifically among us and, and the world and the scientific community that when the five people that you spend the most time with, if you're a little level above them, you'll give up some of your standards and lower them a little bit because you don't want to hurt them or embarrass them or whatever. But if you're around people that their standards, their effectiveness in life is higher than you, you will raise your bar if they're really your peers. Because if they're your peers, you want, what is that? That means if they're my peers, that means they affect decisions I make. If they're peers, it means that, that I have a certain attitude when I'm with them. We do certain things together because I wouldn't be a peer with them if we didn't have similar standards. And what happens is proximity is power because those five people you spend the most time with is, are the people that's going to determine the, how much you can close the gap in any area of your life. Now, as we dive into that, we'll get back into David today as well. And, and, and what I want you to understand, we looked at even the contrast last, the last couple of weeks with King Saul and King David and how long they reigned and the contrast between how they were trying to close the gap. In Saul's life, the gap got, the chasm became greater and greater to the point he was no longer with Samuel trying to hear what God wanted. He was going to the witch at Endor and having a witch speak into his life and conjure up spirits to try to find out direction from God. So listen, happiness equals what? Happiness equals progress. If you're having a little bit of progress in your life, you can be happy. But you can have all the finances, health, everything in the world. And if you think you're just going to motor along, guess what? Before long, you'll find yourself off the rail of happiness. Because if you don't progress, have some progression in the positive direction in any area of your life, that area will become depressed and held back. And eventually, it will depress you and hold you back. But we want to get momentum, right? We want to get energy. What is momentum? Moving forward with energy. So it's a, if I want to throw a ball, what is that? This arm and the motion of my body, if I just throw it like that, I got, I got pretty good energy, okay? But if I go like this and drive it with my legs, I have a lot more energy. Why? Because I have a lot more motion moving toward what I'm focused on, hopefully. Motion moving toward what, toward what I'm focused on. And what is it? The energy of forward motion, right? So what happens is wherever your focus goes, your energy flows, right? So if I'm like Charlie Brown, why is everybody always picking on me, right? Then I'm gonna be the one picked on because I just opened the door to be picked on. You know, so, so, so you got to come to a place in your life where you take ownership and evaluate where you're at, right? Now, what is the, the number one thing for us? We know we are a spirit and we have the Holy Spirit living us. Those that are Christians are sons and daughters of God. But there's something that God gave us because everything I'm talking about are things that God made us in his image likeness and gave us. And, and what is the kind of momentum that moves you forward? 
The number one momentum that's gonna begin moving you forward, not ultimately, but begin, is your emotions. So human momentum is moving forward with emotions. Moving forward with emotions. So, so if, I, if I'm sitting around and, you know, I get up and I'm home by myself and I'm walking around the house and this one's at a ball game and they're out on a vacation and I'm just kind of there and I'm kind of bored before long and I let my mind drift on, you know, things that, you know, didn't end up the way I wanted, maybe back when I was 12 or 20 or 30 or whatever, or how it's going at work and I'm not looking at the 10 things going great, I'm looking at the two things that I'm a little nervous or worried about. What kind of energy or emotion am I going to have? And then you go down to the gas station and the pump doesn't work and you got to go over to the window and you're snappy with the person in the window and they don't even know why you're snappy, but you're snappy because you've been mad for about two hours over somebody that offended you at work. And you're not even aware of it now. You thought of it a couple of minutes, got in this funk, and then you say, I can't think about that, but you didn't change your energy, your emotion. And then you're a carrier. So if you're going to be alone, you be, need to know how to keep your energy up. If you're going to be alone, you need to know how to tap into the Holy Spirit. That's the unfair advantage you and I have. But if you are emotionally weak, you won't even have the energy to pick up the Bible, to turn on a podcast, to even flip your worship music on. You'll go over and just flop down, get the potato chips, get the Coca-Cola or whatever it is you drink, and flip the TV on and sit there and be mad at the whole world. And your family comes home, they've had a great day, thought you were going to go out and have a great day, and you're like, hey, glad you're home. All because you started your morning in that emotional momentum that you're living. So your emotions drive you. And if you don't learn how to change your patterns of thinking, that's what going to the next level is, and understanding and get the knowledge you need, you'll never be the spiritual warrior you want to be. You'll never be that prayer warrior you want to be. You'll never be that person laying hands on the sick, watching them recover. You'll never see the kind of financial life God wants for you. You'll, you'll just never walk in the kind of relationships that, that you could. Now, all of us in the wheel of life we've been talking about, some are very strong in the relationships with your family, but, but kind of weak in finances, or some are strong in family and finances but weak in their spiritual walk with God. Whatever it might be, we all have the will of life, five to eight key things in our life, and we gotta learn how to continually close the gap in those areas. And one of the keys is understanding this principle that we can learn in the life of David, that proximity is power. Now, when I think about that and think about proximity is power, uh, and I'm using it to close the gaps in my life, what begins to happen is um, I began to see momentum take place. Progress starts to happen in my prayer life, in my walk with God, in, in my health, in, in my relationships, and so on. Now, when we talk about the proximity of power, what are we talking about? We're talking about the people you put in proximity around yourself, the people you hang with. Now, we can also apply this around the wheel you could say this, if, if you're hanging around people that are brilliant business people and this and that, and, and, and you're in that peer group and you're all going to another level, then you better make sure you have someone, if there's not good character there, you better have someone else in your top five that is great in character and integrity and balance in their life. You see what I mean? You've got to balance out 
that those people that spend the most time in your life. You say, yeah, but you don't know my family and I live with them. Yeah, and you know what you're supposed to do? Love them. So here's what I say about your family. Love your family, choose your peers. Love your family, choose your peers. And then there's always family within family that you relate to and so on. But so many times, the reason people sabotage their finances, we see young athletes do it, we see different people do it, movie stars, whoever, or people hit the lottery, they end up sabotaging their wealth. Why? One of two reasons. For the fear of loss or the fear of not being loved. You say, well, that's stupid, Pastor. Well, you need to read the Word of God. Fear is false evidence appearing real but the fear of loss or the fear of not being loved. What's that mean? Well, this kid's out here. He just signed a $10 million contract. He's got all of his homies with him. He's got everybody with him. And they're hitting the clubs. They're doing this. And he's still got to perform. He's got to do his thing. And after a while, hey, bro, I want to start a new business. Can I have a million or a half a million? Yeah, sure, man. That's not going to, hey, man. Hey, I want to buy some jewels from my family. Yeah, yeah. And before long, you would say, well, why would he give all that money away? Or she. Because they fear losing that peer group that means so much in their life because that peer group now sees them as their cash cow, but to them, that's their lifeline to being loved. And so they'll do things for crazy people in their life just because they're afraid of not being loved. So it's so important that you have people in your peer group, and we'll see that with David here in a moment, that, that bring you up and don't take you down. You don't want people in your peer group that's just like you. You don't even want to be around a lot of your choosing peer group, the people that, 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 that know less than you and accomplish less than you in, in, in all areas of your life. They need to bring something to your life that's gonna add power, and you need to be someone that can add to their life and to bring more power. That's why iron sharpens iron and it's important. So I'm not saying you got, well, you just said, I can't hang out with my friends. I'm saying you can hang out with a rooster for all I care. That's your business. You can go get a dog and pet it and hang out and not work and not eat, I guess. That's your business. But what I'm telling you is scriptural and it's true. Whoever you hang with, you will take on their likeness. Mm -hmm. So let's look at King David here for a moment. Um, and here's what I want to tell you. Who you spend time with is who you become. Who you spend time with is who you become. Yeah, but I'm a child of God. Well, how much time you spend with God? Well, you know, I, I, I'm a girl, I'm a daughter of God, I'm a son of God. Well, that's all good, but if you spend 15 minutes a month with him, you're not going to be much like him. See, 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 you're going to take on the likeness just like I took on Jeffrey's likeness and that thing stopped real quick. You know, I wanted to live and not die at 12. I knew. So, so just like what, what you take on, you begin to, ah, oh, well, I don't normally do it, but this is my best friend. And since he does it, I'll do it once. Mom won't, what? You start adjusting your standard to their standard. So you always want to be in relationships with people spiritually, physically, financially, all that with people that have high standards, if not even higher standards than you, because you want to progress, you want to grow, you want to mature, you want to become who God designed you to be because the truth is in you. So the most important decisions that you're going to make is not, you know, how much money I get or whatever. The most important decision you're going to make, decisions, is who you spend your time with. And it should always start with God. 
And then beyond that, it needs to be other people in your peer group. Now, you can have multiple peer groups for multiple things, but it begins in your peer group. Is this helping anyone? Can anyone see how this could help you? So go with me to 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22 and, and, and we see here David, and, and we understand, you know, even talk about last week, what did he do? Man, he was, last two weeks, he, he, he was anointed by Samuel to be uh, the next king, even though Saul was already the king, and he had already been called up to play his instrument, his stringed instrument, to, to soothe the evil spirits that Saul was under, and all this stuff. And then he would go home. And then finally, he went up to feed, his, brother, feed uh, his brother's lunch. And guess what? There's Goliath. He goes out and slays Goliath. Now he marries the king's daughter. And we need to see this progression. He's like a great champion, winning all kinds of people to the Lord. I mean, we're not we're taking all kinds of nations. So that's his assignment. So he's taking nations. And then the women started singing and dancing. Saul kills his thousands, but David kills his ten thousands. And from there, it went kaplop, right? And Saul's trying to kill him, and he's running for his life. Now, he's running for his life, and he feels alone, and he feels isolated, right? I mean, you know, whenever we go through times of hardship and pain, it's very dangerous to isolate yourself. Even champions don't need to isolate themselves, right? Because we said the way a lot of that sin started later in David's life, how did it start? It started when he isolated himself at his mansion and let... It said kings go out at this time of the year and fight. He didn't go out to fight. He isolated himself in his mansion. And what did he do? He got in trouble. So, so look at this. Look at me in verse, uh, 1 Samuel 22. says this. So he's running for his life. And, and it says this. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and his fathers and his households heard about it, they went down to him there. And all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and what he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Even the strongest among us, even like David, were vulnerable when we put ourselves in places of isolation. Now, as we see that we're all gonna battle it, we're all gonna battle, you know, the enemy trying to get us to, you know, and really it's not the enemy. Just, we give the devil way too much credit. Come on. He can't make you do anything. He can't. He can't make you do one thing. You are a decision. You make a decision and you take a step or do an action or say something. It's you. And until you take ownership, you'll never live on a success curve in your walk with God. You'll always be tent trending down that failure curve. But if you want to live in a place of joy and peace and victory, you've got to kind of, you'll have some bumps, but you just want to keep going up with God, up with God, and up with God. And you can change and transform more lives and be happier while you are doing it. Now, what's interesting when we think about this, and I'll get into it a little more here in a minute with this proximity of power, look who came. Look who comes to the cave. First of all, who went to him first? His father's household. His brothers and all of his family went to him first. Now, they had their problems. Remember, the brothers were jealous of him, making fun of him, mad at him. But they were family. What did I say you do for family? You just love them. God bless their little hearts. You just love them. You love them just as they are. It's not your pro they're not your project. You love them just as they are, not how you think they should be. And help them any way you can, but you what? So what do I do for my family? 
I mean, if we could just get that, Miss Gwen, it'd be a lot, it'd be more peaceful in the church, let alone our city, right? So what did he do? He escaped, first thing he did, he escaped and isolated himself out of fear and all that. David wasn't afraid to fight. David went out and faced the giant with a slingshot and three stones. He wasn't afraid to die. See, if you get this, it'll change your life. You think David, who killed a bear and a lion out in the woods by himself, watching over his daddy's sheep with his bare hands, was afraid to die? You think David, who went out and faced a giant with a slingshot and killed him with one smooth stone and cut his head off, was afraid to die? You see, you got to learn to give the correct meaning to what your brain is trying to think about. Well, well, I could relate to that. I mean, if King Saul was after me and all of his armies, I'd run and hide too. Well, you would run and hide for a different reason because you're afraid to die. This boy was not afraid to die. So why did he run to the cave? Well, because his men, no. They found out where he was and came. He wasn't keeping it that big of a secret. So why, why did David run? I'll tell you why. Two things, because he knew God had called him, right? God uh, sent Samuel, anointed him, and and made him king. And he knew in in time he would be that. But remember, he he has a family now, and he loves his family. Well, that's his father-in-law. They got his family. And now, not only do they have his wives and kids and so on, guess what? So, so now, you know, Saul's got his family. And then not only could he lose his family, he could also lose the calling of God on his life because he didn't care to die, but he didn't want to lose that calling that God put on his life. And he wouldn't do anything to take it for himself but to serve the king to death, right? So, so he was afraid of loss, fearing of loss of relationships, and also a loss of love. And he had several opportunities to kill Saul and he would show him like, well, you know, I got your, a piece of your robe. I, you were asleep. I could have killed you. I didn't. Whoop, I got your, your spear over here. Send it back. I could have killed you. Well, what was that about, preacher? Well, it wasn't about a chicken clucking around. It wasn't about some little weak, you know, one-time warrior. Now he's just a little wine and wiener because he didn't have a good year. He wasn't blaming anyone else, but he had to get in to discover it. And what was it? He, he was in fear of losing his family, his calling, but he was also in fear of not being loved because his wife and kids loved him. How are they going to feel you kill their grandfather, their father and grandfather? Jonathan and him were knitted at heart, best friends, loved each other. You know the whole story, how they were out there, and and he even told David his dad wanted to kill him and all of that. And he thought, if I kill his father, how would that leave me and Jonathan? I don't love anyone more than him. He's my best friend in the world. So, so, So you have to learn to give the correct meaning, and you have to ask your goofy mind the questions. Because all your mind knows is two things, pain and pleasure. That's, all you're, that's how you create, pain 
and pleasure. And until you learn how to give the right meaning, now, no pain, no gain. You can go through some pain. You'll never have a life without pain. But if you give it the meaning that this pain is to propel me to where I'm to be, then you can have fun in the pain. Yeah, yeah, okay. So look who's there. So David isolates himself. Why? Because he's fearing of losing or not being loved. He's not afraid of death or to fight. What's well, the second thing we see? Who's the first people that came to him? His family. And then as we get into this, if we get time today to get more into it, we'll find out that those 400 men came out and became mighty men, right? And then, you know, they did great exploits. Later on, there was 30 great men in the mighty men. And then after that, 30 of the great men that were mighty men, there were three men that were the greatest of the 30 that blew everyone away. And then there was one man that was greater than the three men, but he wasn't of the three men. You know why he wasn't of the three men? He went beyond them. They got locked in the greatness of the three. And all of a sudden, he got promoted above them because he learned what they learned. But he went somewhere and got even a higher proximity of power, understanding, wisdom, and authority. And he became their leader. Proximity is power. If you hanging out with worry, you're a worrier. You hang out with fear, then you're timid and you're weak. Well, you know, I mean, my mama worried, my daddy worried. Yeah, no, yeah, okay. So, so, and you worry. So, so if I'm worried because it's raining and I had a family member that had a bad accident and broke a hip or something, and now every time I get out there, oh God, it's raining. I got to watch. Oh God. And, and, and you do that 30 times a year for 10 years. Now you've just worried about an accident that hasn't happened, may never happen, probably won't happen. And you've already lived through the stinking accident 300 times. What if you just said, Lord, I commission angels over my life to hold me up, to gird me, to protect me, and to guard me. And by the way, I bind any attack that the enemy would try to kill or steal or destroy me. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. No thing, no wreck, no fear, no disease, nothing can stop the power of God. And so you say, yeah, but preacher, what if you get in a car wreck and you die? I win. What do you mean? I beat you to heaven, didn't I? See, your problem is if your meaning is this is it, I feel sorry for you. I mean, I really, if you feel this is it, man, oh, I'm going to cling. I'm not saying live the fullest and do the best you can. And I, I'm just saying if this is it, how sad. How sad it is for you. you. You need to expand your proximity of power, your people. Your peeps are bringing you down, brothers and sisters. But you chose them, so it's your responsibility. You need to love them and move up a level. Doesn't mean you abandon them. So, so, so who's he got there? He's got his family. And now you see as this group of cave dwellers come out as mighty men and champions and help him come into the kingdom. Now within that group, there was some that stayed at the 400 level. Yes. Then some rose up to the 30 level. And some, a few rose up to the level of the three greatest. Yes. But even one raised up beyond the three to become the greatest of them all. What's that saying? 
you never stop progressing. Never stop. Never stop stop seeking. Never stop growing. Never stop loving. You say, well, well, you know, I have relationships and I have best friends and then, then, you know, and oh my goodness, you know, then somewhere a month, a year, three years later, it blows up or even 10 years later and it breaks my heart. You want to know how to never lose a relationship? It's real easy. It's not hard. And when you first connect with someone and their character's there and your character's there and you say, man, they could be a friend for life. They're amazing. Okay, what if you treated them the same way you did the first day you met them the rest of your relationship? Yeah, but they do stuff and they miss stuff. I didn't ask. That's their responsibility. I'm asking you about your responsibility. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't grow and they don't grow and, and they're not healthy to be around and you ease away, but it's not a bad thing. You, you're going to find a way to do it genuinely in love and help them and bless them, but you'll go to the next level and then they'll deal with what they're dealing with. What, what are you seeing, preacher? There's proximity. The proximity is power. And, and what you do when you hang around with turkeys instead of eagles, you lose your power. Come on, well, I like my turkeys. Well, just cluck around by yourself. I'm not going to hang out with turkeys. I'll visit turkeys. I'll throw grain to turkeys. I won't pet turkeys. I'll eat turkeys. I'll do that stuff. And I'll put a little cranberry sauce and some gray, oh, gravy, mashed potatoes. Oh, I don't get to do that. Oh, okay. So, so anyway, I got to change my mindset there, right, because I can't be done. What are you saying? What are you saying, preacher? Proximity is power. Well, I want to be great. I want to be called of God. Well, then work on your character. Well, I have character. No, you have a character level of the people you hang around with. That's why you counsel each other and you all get in the same freaking mess that you get into all the time. You hang around with a certain group and if they miss work half the time and they're late half the time, you can be perfectly attended on a promotional track and within three months to a year, you'll be kind of close on your way toward them. Right? Same thing spiritually. You're not looking for people just like you. I had to learn that. I used to try to hire people as just like me. You, you know, no, you've got to hire the need. You've got to bring the peers in your life of what you're missing, not what you have. Proximity is power. Man, Lord, would you move for me? How about you move for him? He said, so, and you reap. What, what are you doing? Well, if he just opened a door. He didn't ask you. He said his door is open. Knock. Well, I just don't have the provision. He said the sparrows would feed you if they need to. Oh, I didn't see that. Right, because that's faith. And you got to get yourself in faith. And you can't live in faith unless you're in the proximity with the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And you get that through word and worship and prayer and not hanging around unspiritual people all the time. Yeah, it's good to clap right there. Good to clap right there. It's a good place. Now, I didn't say don't ever hang around with unspiritual people. I just said don't do it all the time. 
Because that's who you're after to bring. You're not after to win them to some basketball team or something. You're there to win them in the kingdom or maybe they're already children of God, but they're floundering. You're there to bring them up so they can be more and do more for God and bring them out of pain into the pleasure that God has for them. You're there. But if I'm hanging out with them, if I'm out there and there's someone, I used to be a lifeguard and save some people here and there when I was young and skinny and all that, you know, we could, had a little oxygen to go get them, right? So, so, so here, look. If I'm the greatest lifeguard in the world and there's someone off the pier drowning out there and here I go, hey, so, oh, I got that. I'm diving in. And I could have saved 100 people, right? And I'm swimming out. Oh, I'm so good. I, I know I got him. I got time. This is awesome. And I just go out and they're there. And I say, hey, how you doing? Oh. And then I go, oh, let me help you. And then, then I'm just gonna talk to him. I'm holding him and I'm treading water and I'm holding him. You okay? Yeah. <laughs> you hear me? And I'm treading water and I'm patting them on the back. You okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here, here, I got you. I got you. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, 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 okay. Are you ready to swim? Are you ready for me to bring you in? Just give me a minute. That's a long way. I don't know if I can make it. Well, I'm going to help you, honey. I'm, I'm going to pull you with me and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you with me like this. I've done this over a hundred times. I got, well, just give me a minute because I don't know if I'm ready to make that move. Why? Because that person is living off the power of that lifeguard. But if that lifeguard stays there long enough, he or she won't have the power to get themselves back to the pier, let alone the one that's drowning. Proximity is power. And if you want to be a mighty man, a mighty woman of God, you better check out who you're hanging out with and make a decision. And if they don't want to let you put your arm around them and bring them to safety, love them and tap out and say, I hope someone comes by. Yeah, but that's not what God did. That's not, Jesus didn't heal everybody. He just healed everybody he prayed for. He didn't heal everyone in every city. He just healed everyone in the cities he prayed for. There were people being murdered in Jesus' time. There were people dying in Jesus' time. There were people that didn't get healed in his time. How many people did he walk by that if he would have stopped and helped every person along the way, he never would have got out of Nazareth? Proximity is power. How much time I have? Okay. This, this. So, so when we consider what if David was left, left alone in the cave? Well, we know what happened. He'd be like us. He'd be depressed. I don't care who you are. What about Elijah? He held up the rain for three and a half stinking years. Because of Ahab and Jezebel and they're worshiping false idols and they were killing off the prophets. And then finally it was time and he said, go tell Ahab, run up on the mountain. Bring his false priests up here. And what did he do? He built a big altar. And he said, I'll tell you what, whoever's God is God. 
you know, they'll fire these things up. And all the evil witchcraft doctors, all people, and all that, they were cutting themselves and they were praying over this wood, this big old water, and nothing happened. And what'd he do? He said, hey, give me some water, pour it on mine. What? Water? It hadn't, yeah, I guess I'm going to pour more. Pour, yeah, he's like, pour more. And all of a sudden, man, he called forth, what? And, and, and fire came up out of the altar of sacrifice. And then when that happened, what, what, then, then, then he, then, then he got another revelation, right? And he said, wait a minute, it's getting ready to rain. Ahab, you better get your chariots, boy, and get going, right? You better get your chariots and get going. And, and, and he gets going. And it says Elijah start, and then Elijah's praying and he sees the cloud coming out, his servant does, and it, and it starts to pour the rain. And, and you would think Elijah's a bad, bad dude, right? He's a tough dude. But you know what Elijah did? He got distracted on the way down to deal with Ahab and Jezebel and he stopped to rest under a juniper tree alone by himself and the Bible says that he sat there after he just called the rain and the drought he held the rain then he released the rain he saved, saved a bunch of God's prophets he had already rebuked and took authority he killed all the false priests that were there with Ahab and he got word that Jezebel's coming to just destroy him and kill him and it wasn't so much that he was afraid of Jezebel and why would he be afraid of Jezebel he just faced the king Ahab and all of his armies and he said no what he was he was tired and he was alone. And he was weak. He wasn't weak spiritually. Oh, Lord, just what good is my life? Jezebel's going to kill me. I mean, can you imagine God, what he thinks sometimes about us? Like, you dummy, I just did water, fire. Come on, man, you ran faster than the chariots on your feet and you gave them a five-mile head start and you're over here whining because you're worried about Jezebel. But see, he was physically drained. You see, that's what preachers and musicians and artists have to worry about, athletes. You're weaker after you do what you do physically and spiritually and emotionally. You're weak, so you've got to be, I, just, I can't go out and just hang out and do stuff after I preach. I, I, I might go eat lunch with my family and other friends, but I'm not going to just go out and say, I just need some alone time. That's stupid. That's what David did on the terrace. How'd you learn that? I learned from people that, Unfortunately, that I love that that broke them, and they I saw all the pain in their life. But that still doesn't mean I won't, I can't do it because I got to realize I can't. And that's why I always love those people and want to help them because I know it could be me, just like it's them, and we're all family. So I want to help them, right? So why? Because I want to love as God loves, and serve and serve as God serves, and give as God gives, even if people that are so, so Christians get mad at me. Then I go, good. I found out you're not going to be in my proximity. I'll love you from a distance. Because I'm not giving you my power to love. I'm not going to give you my power to serve. Is this helping anybody? So, where was I before I got on that? Oh, Elijah. And he's ready to die. He's ready to commit suicide. Take my life, Lord. He's like, you, I really want to, Elijah. I got a couple more things you got to do. He said, get up. I've got the one to replace you. Go over. He's a Elisha. He's over there taking care of his fields and got his oxen. Go get him and throw your coat on him, your mantle. He's your guy. And sure enough, he was. But what happened? Elijah perked up real quick when God gave him someone. But I wonder how many times he went by Elisha's farm in that small area and never thought to look his way. 
You see, these 400 men in their households that came and became David's mighty men, they went to David. See, I have people, will you be my spiritual papa? Will you be my spiritual father? Will you be my pastor? And you be that and other ministers around the country. You be my, look, I am what I am. I'll love you, serve you. My heart is to serve. And sure, but let me tell you something. If being your spiritual father or your pastor means I chase you, I ain't the guy. That's not me. I don't chase people that say they want what I have. Listen, I don't even want to be in close proximity to people who want what I have. I want to be in close proximity with people who want me. And I'll see it, they'll be on fire for a month or a couple of years, and then all of a sudden, it's just, I hadn't talked to you in a while, Pastor. Yeah, you haven't called me. Yeah, but you know, I've been going through a lot. No, I don't know, because I can't read your mind. You live in another state. How am I going to know? Well, wait, oh, I could know. I could see you whining and moaning on Facebook. That's how I know. <laughs> yeah, but I thought you'd see it. You... I'm not your guy, man. If I'm not worth pursuing, find someone that is. Well, you say, well, what about you, preacher? I got to pursue too. If I'm not pursuing people in my life that's going to help me be more effective so I can be more effective for you, then I'm going to regress. Well, this is the opening, I guess, for next week. So, so David was alone in the cave, right? And all these people, they come, blah, blah, blah. David's down. God used people that were followers of David to give him the beginning of his breakthrough because he realized I'm on this earth to contribute, to serve, and to love. And that activated that fire and that calling in him, and he felt their love because they came. Now, they needed it worse than David needed it. He was a champion, right? They needed it worse than David. So what's the key here? They went where they needed it. Right. See, you can't, well, nobody called me and I've been in the hospital. Did anyone know? Well, three people. Then get mad at the three people that know. <laughs> what are you mad at me? I didn't know. Nobody's mad at me in the hospital, so get over it. I'm just saying, that's the kind of things like you. Somebody, you're at work and you're having a good call. Hey, man, you doing it? Yeah, what, what's up, man? Wait a minute. We stand here and jab and laugh for five minutes every morning. You know what it's about, man. I see you, man. What? What? And then they walk off. Oh, they got you now because they got you thinking. Oh, and they walk off to their cubicle or their office. And, and you're sitting there going, man, I had a great stinking day. And I, got my, I even brought my Starbucks. I, I'm doing good. And, and this guy, man, we've been in a great relationship for six months. And now, and that, wonder what's, what did I do? What did I say? Well, if they're not going to tell you, let it go. Love them. Give a new meaning to it. And say, man, somebody must have really hurt them. I don't know what's going on. I'm willing to help them any way I can. But I'm going to love them just the way they are. Man, what a great day it is. Go here and get somebody else to have coffee with you. You're going to let them pull you into your drama? 
but you're a preacher. You're supposed to love everybody. I do love everybody. I love everybody. If I did everything for my boys, they'd be handicapped. They wouldn't even have an education. They wouldn't even be able to get up and get dressed. But no, sometimes I got to be a father. And I encourage and motivate different ways. Because I'm not their buddy. I am friends. We love doing stuff, but that's not my number one role. That's a benefit by being a good father. Because if you stink at being a good father, they don't want to be around you. Well, I don't know why my kids don't want to be around me. Well, you didn't want to be around them for 15 years. You lost your power, but I'm dad. Yeah, you got in the office, but you lost the authority. Why? Because you didn't bring them into your proximity. Proximity is power. I'll give you one statement and then we'll pray. So, never forget this. Proximity is power. Your life will be the direct reflection of the expectation of your peer group. Your life will be the direct reflection of the expectation of your peer group. Your peer group is anyone in your life who influences your decisions. Your peer group is anyone in your life, they don't even have to say anything, but they influence what you think and say. They influence your decisions. Because you will adjust your decisions, you will adjust your standard to stay connected with them. So if you're, it's okay if you're, that's why I said it's such an important decision. If you choose the wrong peer group, you're gonna gravitate to their standards and get poor results. But if you will choose a peer group that is, a, that is where you're, they're on the way to where you wanna go, then it's gonna draft you and pull you up more to where you wanna go. But we've been talking about it for two months. What do you really want? I just want to be happy. Well, if you don't know what makes you happy, you're not going to be happy. I have to talk to you about the law of attraction here soon. Because you attract what you are. We attract what we reflect. It's about relationships. It's about your peer group. Now, I want to pray for you just as Pastor Mark comes. And, and, and I, want to, I want you to sit there for just a moment. And if you haven't worked this wheel process, I've been, we've been doing it for a month and a half, two months, close to two months. You need to work this thing. God's not going to move till you move. He's waiting on you. So you need to make a move. Do you need to make a move in your health, in your finances, relationships, walk with God, career, whatever. You just make a move. You just need to make a move. And you need to decide what that is. What do you really want? Then make your move. Now, Father, I thank you for my lovely family here today. I just love everyone here so much, Father. And I thank you that your word, that if we, if we will know the truth, the truth will set us free. I thank you that your word, your logos, and your rhema is here. Your promises are here. And right now, Father, we just thank you for your anointing that's in this room. We thank you for the level of faith that's so great. I pray that we're just in a proximity of power as a spiritual family of faith, authority, and anointing that we can do what your word says. Whatsoever we ask, we can have. Whatsoever we ask, we can have. When two or more come into agreement, 
whatsoever they ask, they can have. Right now, Father, I pray that what they ask for, they see, believe, and know. Now, in Jesus' name.